0: Welcome to Live Vedanta, a podcast where we explore simple living and high thinking. Each week, we join Vivek Gupta as he offers insights on bringing the divine into the daily. Vivekji has experienced much of what the world has to offer, whether it is attending an elite business school or traveling to almost fifty countries. However, tired with the inconsistent and incomplete peace associated with these pursuits, he decided to turn his journey within. Over the last decade, Vivekji has shared his observations on the science of independent joy with communities across North America and beyond. In this week's episode, we focus on the gauge of evolution. Evolution is where one is less dependent on context. To better understand this topic, we unpack the difference between smartness versus goodness, and go behind the meaning of a commonly recited verse. Let's tune in.
1: Adio and greetings from Niagara Falls. I read a report that shared the more trees one plants around their house, the more they save on energy. During the summer, those trees keep your home cool, and during the winter, those trees keep your home warm. And the same report shared that when someone is feeling stress and when they see a tree, they reduce their stress, which is why in many hospitals, recovery rooms are in line of sight of a park or in line of sight of a a forest. When you built your house, when you drive around different neighborhoods, it seems like people are cutting down more trees than planting more trees. Yes. It takes a different type of thinking to appreciate that trees help us with our energy. The trees help us with our stress. And how hard it is for us to have that different type of thinking, and this is just for our relationship with the tree. Now imagine what would be needed, how much of that big picture we would need to think like, how long-term, We would need to think when it comes to our relationship with God, our relationship with our self, big picture, long term. In the last class, we're in the chapter entitled, The Basic Unit of Life. And we studied that there's three basic units of life. There's one basic unit made up of three parts. The basic unit of life is experience. And experience is comprised of a subject having a relationship with an object. Objects. Yes, we studied all of this. When someone's relationship the focus is on the object, then that person is a bogie. That person is materialistic. That person can never think about the benefit of trees. That person can never have a a sound relationship with God. Whereas, when the relationship, the focus is on the subject, that person is a bhakta. That person is not materialistic. That person is a devotee. That person is a disciple. For such a person where the focus is on the subject, thinking long-term and big picture is most natural. It's harder for them to think in a limited way. Where is your focus? Is it on the object, objects, or is it on the subject? In our course, there's not so much reading. (laughs) And I hope you can also agree that there's not so much of reading. So I study um, different texts to complement our course. So I'm studying a variety of Upanishads that I had not studied while I was in the Vedanta course. And I want to give you some references of how this fits into our course. The Upanishad I'm presently reading is called Bhikshukaha Upanishad. Upanishad is the knowledge-focused part of the Veda, and Bikshukaha is someone who lives simply. I don't like the definition of Bikshukaha meaning being beggar. It's someone who lives simply. And this Upanishad describes four types of bhikshus, bhikshukahas. Here they are. And you can write this if you want. Don't get lost in these details. I'll connect all of this when I'm finished. The first. Kuti, kuti chaka. Kuti chaka. Bhikshukaha. This type of seeker, one that we popularly know, is Rishi Vasishta. That's Bhagavan Rama's guru. And the way that they live, uh, a characteristic of them, is they only eat eight mouthfuls of food a day. Eight mouthfuls of food a day. And all of their thinking and speaking and acting is for moksha is for freedom now you have to visualize this as if more evolved as if more demanding is the bahudaka bikshukaha bahudaka and the way to know this type of seeker is they carry a tridanda they carry a stick, and this stick is indicative of their thoughts, words, and actions being integrated, being aligned. They carry a kamandalu, that's a dried-out squash, and in that, all of their food, all of their water gets mixed up, and they eat it. They have a shikha, their head is shaved, and they keep a tuft. And that tuft of hair is significant for their attachment to the scriptures, their attachment to enlightenment, the pursuit of enlightenment. They have a sutra. A sutra is a thread that they wear from their left shoulder downwards. And this indicates that the focus in their life is not their genital organ and stomach, rather... It's for the development of their heart and hand. Sutra. Kaashaya, they wear clothes that are dyed orangish, fire-ish in color. The idea being is that when the sun rises and the sun sets, it's the same color. This clothing is Um, a reminder to them that they should be balanced, whether things are on the rise or on the fall, that they should be balanced. They do not eat mamsa, and they don't drink madhya, which means no meat and no alcohol. And they too only eat eight mouthfuls of food But this food comes only from brahmanas, only from homes where those people living in that home, their focus is moksha also. Okay? So now as if more evolved, more demanding is the hamsa. The hamsa bhikshukaha. The hamsa bhikshukaha When they're in a grama, a grama means a village, they will not be in that village for more than one day. When they're in a nagara, a nagari, which is a a town, they will never be in that place for more than five days. Then, if they're in a kshetra, a kshetra is a pilgrimage place, They will never be there more than seven days, seven days. And now the food they eat is only sourced from a cow. They only consume food that is sourced from a cow. And that doesn't just mean dairy. That means it's even more natural, even more natural, totally in line with, in tune with the earth. And the way they eat, they have a special fast called chandrayana, which means they will eat 15 mouthfuls of food when there's a new moon. And as that moon wanes, they'll go down to zero mouthfuls of food when there's no moon, correct? And then they'll go back up as the moon uh, waxes again. Hamsa. And then we have Paramahamsa, Paramahamsa, Yogananda, some of us have read Autobiography of a Yogi, Sri Ramakrishna, Paramahamsa, and another Paramahamsa that uh, I am fond of, in addition to Paramahamsa, Yogananda, and Sri Ramakrishna, is Shuka, that is Vyasa's son, Shuka. This bikshukaha, a person who's living simply, they also only eat eight mouthfuls of food. And what's characteristic about them is that they're beyond where they live. They're beyond any sort of clothing, what type of clothing, what color of clothing. They are beyond responsibility. They have to do this. They shouldn't do this. They're beyond any sort of exchange, profits, losses. They're beyond purity, that that person's impure, that they're pure. They're beyond value, that a phone and a glass and a book, that they're of different value. They're beyond any sort of restrictions when it comes to food. They will eat these mouthfuls of food coming from anywhere. It doesn't have to be a brahmana. It doesn't have to be from a cow. They're beyond any gifts, whether anyone gives them something, takes something from them. And most importantly, they're beyond ego. Paramahamsa. So now you may be asking, why am I sharing all of this? Because of all of these, the only one who's beyond ego is the Paramahamsa. Everyone else is not, but you see how much discipline with which they live, how much simplicity with which they live, where their focus is not the object's standard of living, but it is the subject, which is standard of life. Only then can one go beyond the ego. So I'll keep on studying and sharing with you these different references. It's beautiful. It's like refined spices to a meal. It really brings out the reality of the message. We continue finishing the chapter on the basic unit of life Without the subject, there cannot be an object. Without the subject, there cannot be an object. I'll give you a couple of examples. First from Sri Ramana. Many of you are studying Upadesh Sara with me. We're studying together. And Sri Ramana will share that awareness and existence are the same. How? If you remove awareness from existence, If you remove awareness from existence, you're not aware of existence. So does existence actually exist then? If you don't know it, then it has no reality. It has no relevance. So the same goes with us. Without the subject, there cannot be an object. And naturally, then there can't be a relationship, right? Making this more relative. All of the rooms that you're sitting in right now if you leave those rooms can there be happiness in that room um, uh, supposing you're by yourself if you're with someone when you leave yes there'll definitely be more happiness but if you're in a room by yourself and you leave that room can there be happiness well, there can't and as soon as you come back can there be happiness <laughs> there whether there is or not is different but there can be happiness when you're there correct But without you, there can't be happiness. So the subject um, is independent and the object is dependent. And so studying and knowing the subject is our dharma. This is our responsibility to know the subject. It is not our responsibility to know the object. Those depend on the subject. And when we think of dharma in a simple English phrase, it's the right thing to do. Why should you be honest? Because it's the right thing to do. Why should you be healthy? Because it's the right thing to do. Why should we study and know the subject? I'm saying it's the right thing to do. It's the only thing to do. Now, for those who cannot think big picture or long term, when this idea of studying and knowing the subject comes into our our radar, there's no utility to that. What? Can I make more money with it? Can I control people with it? And so sometimes we have to say, you know, Vedanta helps a Christian be a better Christian and a doctor be a better doctor and a parent be a better parent. But Antha, to be Christian doctor parents. This is the greatest utility, which is independent joy. When you're happy, everything else is fine. And when you're unhappy, nothing is fine. This is the greatest utility. But to reach studying the subject, we do have to address, to reach knowing the subject, we do have to study the nature of the object, study the relationship between the objects and the subject. We have to keep on um, becoming more inward-looking, becoming more introvert. And I'll give you another framework to think about this. Imagine you can label objects as smartness, and the subject as goodness, which is more important. Now you're all gonna say goodness, correct? We were somewhere, some of us were there too, I just can't remember where. There's a group of younger people, like kids sitting there and their parents also, maybe 75 people, and I asked everyone to close their eyes. And then I asked the kids, kids, are your parents teaching you to be good or smart. And almost unanimously, those kids said, smart. Everyone's eyes are closed. (laughs) And then I asked the parents, parents, are you teaching your kids to be good or smart? And almost unanimously, the the parents said, good. (laughs) So the parents think they're teaching their kids to be good, but those kids feel like their parents are teaching them to be smart. So much adharma in one room, in one family. (laughs) Smartness is about the objects, which means that you have to keep on studying because everything keeps changing, isn't it? New computers, new cars, new policies, but goodness never changes. Honesty, compassion, love, discipline, thoughtfulness, Being an early riser, being healthy, does that ever change? 50 years ago to now to 50 years in the future, that will never change, right? So what should you be investing in? Investing in that subject, investing in that goodness. Inquiring into who we are, inquiring into our nature being joyous is the most Productive. And Swami Chinmayananda describes that someone with their eyes closed, engaged in contemplation, is far more productive than someone with a microphone on a political platform. <laughs> so the elections are coming up next week, correct? <laughs> so remember that when, when you're voting about who's more inquiry-oriented. And uh, it sort of reminds me of the difference in general between a blue-collar worker and a white-collar worker. Who's more productive? Whose position is more valuable, more irreplaceable? Blue-collar work, uh, a lot of people can do. White-collar work, (laughs) not a lot of people can do. And this chapter concludes sharing, and I told you we have to, study the object, the relationship, the subject, this chapter concludes sharing that as we begin our inquiry, we can only inquire with our equipments, the body, mind, intellect. So we have to know the nature of these equipments, body, mind, intellect. We have to know the functions of these equipments. By knowing the nature and the function, we can start to use, understand these are objects And use these objects to finally re-experience the self. Re-experience the subject. And I say re-experience because we are experiencing it right now. Um, Today, we had taken Vyasa to Niagara Falls for the first time. We're trying to train him to not sleep in the morning, but only take a longer afternoon nap. So we took him to the falls today, where it's bright and noisy, and so on. And my hair was out of control, so I was I put a headband in my hair, but I I guess I was doing it, and then I had to do something with Vyasa, and it just it, it stopped there. And then later on, when I was getting ready, it was around my neck the whole time, and when I was in the falls, the hair was going in my eyes, it was going in my mouth, and it was really uncomfortable. And I was just looking, where did that, that hairband go? And it was there the whole time. I was like, whoa, these examples work. (laughs) But I had it. But I didn't know it. So I couldn't benefit from it. And that's what's happening to us, but in a much more intimate way. So our study will continue with understanding the the nature and function of our equipment, hoping that we can evolve. Evolution is when one is less dependent on context. Please bring that deep into your heart. Evolution is when one is less dependent on context. If you think of the difference between animals, sorry, plants and animals and humans, plants are the most dependent on context, correct? If there's a frost outside, many of your outdoor plants will die. We live in Niagara Falls. There's a lot of soft fruits like grapes. That is tragic for those who make wine. If there's a frost, a premature frost, they're so dependent on context. Animals are less dependent, isn't it? If you take a polar bear, a polar bear can lose up to 50% of its weight over the winter and and not die. But a grape can't do that. And humans, we can wear coats, we have central heating, etc., etc. We ideally shouldn't be dependent on context at all. And this is what Bhagavan Krishna tells Prince Arjuna. He says, right now you are an aryan you are acting like a slave to the context instead of being a master of the context. Another Upanishad that I'm studying after I finish the one that I just referenced is called Avadhuta Upanishad. And the opening prayer, Avadhuta Upanishad is Om Sahana Vavatu, Sahana Upanaktu all of you who are near your computers, <laughs> tell me, what does sahana vavatu mean? Type it up in English. What does sahana vavatu mean? For those who know, if you don't know, no problem. Everyone who's going to type it up is going to be wrong too, so no worries. <laughs> what does sahana bunaktu mean? <laughs> So, Om Sahana Bhavatu is typically interpreted as, may we be safe. We is the teacher and the taught. And Sahana Bhunaktu is, may we enjoy the teacher and the taught. Okay? That's what you've heard before. That's what you've been told before. Acharya Shankara, in his commentary on this mantra, shares differently. Om Sahana Bhavatu is May we be protected. Protected by what? Knowledge. And that's so brilliant because when we think of protection, we think of eating oranges and security systems. But he says, May we be protected by the nature of knowledge. And then he says, Sahana Bhunaktu, May we enjoy the fruits of knowledge. So the nature of knowledge and the fruits of knowledge and that's a lovely and deep interpretation of how important studying is because it leads to this knowledge. Every one of us, at least from 8.30 to 9.30, (laughs) is a Vidyarthi. Artha means? Meaning, wealth and vidya means knowledge remembering we are vidyartis to be a vidyarthi you have to let go of the let go of the pursuit that is dukkha nivritti dukkha nivritti is, um, is being free of pain dukkha nivritti is being free of pain only when that's checked off in our lives can we shift to holding on to sukha, prati. But if my agenda is still to escape from pain, I'm not a vidyarthi then. Vidya is not the meaning in my life. The meaning in my life is pleasure, possession, position. I will not be this, any seeker who lives simply. I will focus on objects. But the fact that every one of you is listening, that you're taking notes, that you're internalizing this shows you know that there's more to it life than just the absence of pain. There is a presence of joy. There is a presence of joy. This is called sukha prati, and we want to reach that. So this prayer. Sahana Bhavatu this is the protection by the nature of knowledge This is protection by enjoying knowledge. Keep internalizing that there is a presence of joy. That will be our evolution.
0: If you enjoyed what you heard or you want to learn more, share this episode with a friend or find us online at medium.com slash vicharagurugula. For those on the journey of self-development, Gurugula is a community forum that provides an opportunity to listen, reflect, and contemplate. This podcast is produced by the Young Adults of Chinmaya Mission, an international nonprofit working to transform individuals through the knowledge of Vedanta. Until next time, inspire, love, be.